This episode is brought to you by So Long Staffing Services. Running your business is hard. Getting funding, following the markets, servicing clients, but the worst is the emotionally traumatic experience you'll suffer when you have to set an employee free to discover his bliss. You know, to fire them. The regret, the self-recriminations, the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and summoning of security. Wouldn't it be better if you didn't have to be there for that? Let So Long Staffing Services lift that burden from your troubled shoulders. They've designed a humane and efficient system for offloading your surplus labor. Ghosting. When you've decided to let a supernumerary go with God, just send his personal and employment details to So Long Staffing Services. In 30 minutes, the service will quietly deposit his final paycheck in his bank account, cancel his entry access slash parking space permission, and have his number blocked on the phones of all your residual workforce, as well as their close contacts and family members. And it uses special AI technology to crop the erstwhile coworker from all of their photos. Then a text is instantaneously delivered to the front desk receptionist so that when the nugatory arrives in the lobby, they should simply ask them to wait there, but not to alert anyone except the police that he's arrived. But don't worry, so long staffing's efficient problem solvers will have already secured a restraining order against them on your company's behalf. Right now, you can use the promo code REREAD to try out their new product, Whisper, to drop legally ambiguous and unsourced implications on social media that an expunged minion might very well have possibly been a criminal or sexual deviant. Remember, no one is truly gone as long as someone cherishes their memory. And that'll never happen when you use So Long Staffing Services. And thank you, So Long Staffing Services, for sponsoring the Rereading Wolf podcast. This episode is brought to you by the support of generous listeners just like you. You can learn how to be one of them at patreon.com slash rereadingwolf. And thank you, listener patrons, for supporting the Rereading Wolf podcast. Warning. The following discussion is deliberately riddled with spoilers and unhinged speculation on this nearly 40-year-old book, Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun. You can't read a Gene Wolfe story. You can only reread a Gene Wolfe story. Welcome to Rereading Wolf. We don't pretend that this is the first time you and we have read these books. We want to understand them in as much detail as possible, and that means considering the works as a whole. Hi, I'm James Wynn. And I'm Craig Brewer. Hi, Craig. Good time of the day when one greets people. So, yes. <laughs> one day I'll be ready and actually come up with something, have something witty to say. And so it's like, oh, wait, I can't say good morning. Or evening, or whatever. <laughs> Good betides to you, yes. <laughs> well, okay, well, you want to get started on here? Yes, indeed. We're All right. making progress. We're moving on from the play, so let's stick yeah, with absolutely. momentum. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, let's push forward. So last episode, Craig, uh, you speculated whether the descriptions of the masks of the Herodules were multiples or always just describing one mask, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or whether there were other Herodules mm-hmm. mentioned, yeah. Well, on Reddit, Neil Smith has the answer. Neil at the cross. He says, uh, <laughs> two masks were mentioned, and they directly reference two out of these three. In Sword, the trio reveal that the masks are a lamprey, an insect, and a dying leper. <laughs> <laughs> so in Claw, in this chapter, we have, quote, a circular mouth rimmed with needle teeth, which is the lamprey, and eyes that were themselves a thousand eyes clustered like the scales of a pine cone 
jaws like tongs, which is the insect mask. So it's, you know, two out of three of the BFO trio and gotcha. no other Hyros masks specifically referenced. Very good. Yep. Yeah. I did not remember that part at all. So, so cool. yeah, yes. Asapego was watching the flying saucer right while they went mm-hmm. into the play. And let's see also on Reddit, Michael Andre Adriussi. He's not correcting us. He's sort of staking out a separate wing of the, in a way of to, to imagine the Herodules, how they're moving through time. My position is always favored mostly a strict unidirectional movement through time. They start in the future, then they move into the past. But Mantis says, quote, regarding the saucer knots, we have this known divergence of opinion established in the earthless days. In short, Mantis does not think that OBF are traveling exclusively backwards in time. He says he thinks they time travel backwards for a while, then they hang around a time region for a while, maybe staying there and traveling around or even skip forward in time as it suits them. He says, quote, they do this for specific intervals or thematic periods. So one might be called Severian's court. Remember that Mantis's understanding of the first Severian is different from mine. I think he comes from a previous universe iteration, and he arrives in Severian's universe after passing the test, but Mantis believes that our Severian is constantly overriding First Severian's timeline, and the First Severian is constantly 10 years ahead of our Severian, so his past is getting wiped out. But for him, the last 10 years are still real until our Severian's present overwrites it. So Mantis says that, quote, They arrive at Earth at some point near the end of Severian's 10 years and serve in Severian's court as advisors, moving forward in time during that period. Uh, And he has a quote, how often have we taken counsel liege? And then they move backwards in time to what Mantis calls the raising up Baldy period. And they traveled maybe decades back in time. Well, really, Mantis, uh, probably a couple centuries back in time, because they that's seems to be when uh, Baldy started, back when he was a, a little guy that in someone's yeah. grandfather's time. And he says that they, quote, became patrons of Baldy, spending time with him in a forward time direction, and they are lavish at first and less so, which makes him as petulant as a baby. And then he continues, he says, quote, when they left the raising Baldy, they shot way back in time to the moment when the light of the White Fountain first hits Earth, and they were quite surprised to find Severian there. Call this one, quote, Apu Surprise. <laughs> and he says, again, this is old stuff. I'm just putting the marker down so that others can see an optional model. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, it seems a little overcomplicated, but it also makes more sense. I mean, In some ways, but- yeah. Well, then he starts examining his own yeah. model applying his the way he sees the first variant to it, which I think is pretty honest. He says, going out on a further limb, you may be asking yourself, when the OBF initially arrive in Severian's court season of their time travels, do they in fact meet the first Severian? After all, they're coming from 10 years in the narrative of Severian's future. It is an alluring prospect, Mantis says, but that's not what he believes. He says paradoxes abound, to be sure. But my thinking, in a nutshell, is that OBF do not set out until after the first Severian has succeeded. That is, 
from their point of view, there's no woo-woo about the first variant success. They've seen it. It's a done deal. And I, I certainly agree with that part. Which brings us around to, he says, to one of the possible answers for why all the distinction between first variant and narrative variant. And Manchester is going to take up the play. He says, recall the recent podcast discussion about the difference between the Inquisitor and the torturer, and reframe the two severians as something like that. To spread the guilt, the judge is not the executioner, and the executioner is not the judge. The first severian is the judge, the one who knows the whole case. Narrative severian is the executioner, the one who does not know the whole case, but only does the job. So the why is to use this human mechanism to save severian spirit or soul from the guilt of a terrible task that must be done. Uh, and well, you know, look, Greg, Mantis injecting first Severian stuff into the play is obviously some kind of dark politics to win me over. And uh, <laughs> I, I can't say it's not working on me. I, I denounced any first Severian interpretations, but lately I've been falling back into my old ways and I see more and more potential for it. In the beginning part of the play and in the end of the play, I want to try and warm it back in. But for me, it's, it's, it's only the potential of a theory. And, you know, what? look, on the other hand, having the Herodules hang around, you know, going forward in time with Baldanders, and then you know, at other points, it limits the degree of determinism in the BFO's backward travel. Uh, there's still some there, but there's less of it. And it seems to me that Wolf would prefer that. So I like it for that reason. Hmm. I feel like the way time travel seems to work in this book when you can time travel, it seems like you're not contained to one timeline, as it yeah. were, because what we get ultimately in Earth of the New Sun, that you can step out and, and you know, you're outside of Briah, so you're outside right. of it. And they talk about different worlds and versions and whatnot. Um, so it does seem like if they could time travel, that they could also switch back and forth between versions. Um, and I don't know if you can control that if they have control it's even if the asadis have control i'm not really sure but that part of it does seem like once you open the time travel door you're kind of opening that multiple iteration door too so maybe they could i don't know i know i know yeah. he doesn't really want him to do that but well the truth is i think that wolf plays with every possible kind of time travel scenario sometimes mm -hmm. it seems to me that severian is and others are moving between universe iterations. And sometimes they're moving within the same universe timeline. And then sometimes you get guys like Master Ash, where who's doing a, a mini worlds model, yeah. uh, where you're just you're branching off timelines. Hmm. So yeah, I, I, Wolf is leaving himself a lot of room when it comes to time. And they, he doesn't even have Ajia explain how the mirrors work to Severian when she has the opportunity. She just says, I don't know. Yep. How, how should I know? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, Neil Smith, though, uh, really liked Manus's model. He says, I agree with this. For example, at the confrontation at the Tower in Sword, BFO will reference the end of the play, which they clearly remember. I mean, Neil has a point. And when talking to Baldanders blowing up the play, uh, I think it's the Famulius says to Talos, we could have killed your creator easily that night. As you mm -hmm. know, we burned him only enough to turn aside his charges. 
and uh, you know, I could leave open the idea that Famulimus was you know using some kind of time tense. He's speaking in the past tense of things yeah. that they will deduce will happen. But you know, Craig, why bother? <laughs> this is that's the most <laughs> obvious reading. And uh, Neil also thinks that after raising up Baldy, they go back and raise up Emar, which I mean. I've said it's in the play, so I think I agree with that. I don't know that it's necessary to assume they move forward in time any other times, but if they do it once, they can do it again. Ultimately, I think it comes down to what feels best to you. I don't think it, it anything in the story hinges on it that I know of so far. Yeah, I just don't know where we would see Imar, really, like where... I don't know. In unless, the what you mean? Like well, I mean, not in, I know where you you see him in the play. I mean, like, do we see Imar other than in the passage in Earth of the New Sun, where he's obviously Imar, but that's not the one you would resurrect. So that that's all I mean. I'm just not. Sure. Oh, I see. I see. See. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think it's like a like. Is a, it the? Is he the homunculus? Is that? No, no, no. It's not. It's, it's 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 just that they go back in time and they 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 begin the the autark project oh, oh, oh in which oh, case they're oh, moving forward at that okay. time and and uh michael didn't mention that one gotcha gotcha yeah but Neil has a curiositus earthus curiositas earthus uh he says I think the Hierodules are the white-robed servants of Syriaca's tale. They gather the technical know-how of the forgotten past for Typhon, then zap him with the dream weapon so he founds the library of Nessus and builds the world. I guess this is raising up Typhon. Well, you know what? I don't know about the building up the world. I'm not convinced that Wolf had thought about it, but, you know... The idea of being the white-robed servants in Syriaca's tale, I, 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 I'm going to have to keep that in mind when we get to that part. Yeah. If it's from Syriaca, I'd a little bit more comfortable with it if it was from Earth of the New Sun when he interacts with Typhon, because certainly by that point, he was already thinking about Long Sun. But yeah, with Syriaca, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I, you know what? There's no point in me bringing this up. I have, I have a lot of ideas about uh, people interacting with Typhon to entice him to to build the world. So there's not much I can do on that right now without really either getting into weeds that will probably uh, try people's patience or spoiling a whole bunch. So anyway, he may not have thought about it this time, but I do like, I, I gotta say, I, I, the idea of those white robe servants, of having them make appearances in Syriaca's tale, mm -hmm. I like that. And also, you know, it comports a bit with my interpretation of that part of the play. So. Mm -hmm. How can I complain, really? Mm -hmm. um, let's see. On Facebook, uh, you know, I've been bemoaning people not always believing my theories, and uh, particularly about the play. And uh, Brent Dunn has a comment. He says, there was a comment about not everyone believing a theory yet that made me think that I should share my framework for Sweet. believing in a theory. He says, "Excellent." there are the four, maybe five stages of exposure to a Gene Wolfe theory. Stage one. Oh my goodness, what kind of drugs was this dude taking to come up with such a ridiculous idea? Yeah, <laughs> heard that one. Uh, stage two. Well, he's, he's clearly wrong, but I can see how he came to that conclusion. Uh, I've heard that occasionally too. Uh, stage three. I don't like it. 
but it makes more sense than any of the other ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and then stage four, by Jove, I think he's right. <laughs> and then stage five, hypothetically, could be uh, evangelism. But I've only seen people get there with their own theories, which <laughs> so is just so true. <laughs> Your own children are always beautiful. We do have two new patrons since last time, so that's two more people who can listen to our new bonus extras at the end of each episode over on Patreon. And once again, thank you so much to everyone at Patreon for sticking with us, even during the drier months like October was, and staying, listening, and helping out. And ultimately what you're doing is funding what will be the next Wolf get-together, which we we haven't decided exactly if it's going to be the con of the conciliator yet, but I would imagine it's something like that. But nonetheless, we have one journeyman and one new master patron. So first, thank you to our new journeyman, Joe Chalewa. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And to our new master patron, Ariane McCarthy. Ariane's an April morning. Remember, the journeyman level is $2, where you'll get access to everything extra up there. At the $5 master level, you'll get your musical tag, like Ariane just got. We'll use that anytime you leave a comment on the show. You'll also have access, of course, to everything on Patreon, but then we will also send out extra little gifts throughout the year, like stickers and little cards and other extra good information up on Patreon. So once again, patreon.com slash rereadingwolf. Please take a look if you're able to help out, and we really, really appreciate it. All right, so... We have uh, the moment of parting coming up here. <laughs> yes. Uh, Talos lays off part of his uh, staff and Severian takes off to Thrax or places beyond. Yeah, and this is not sweet sorrow. No. <laughs> There's nothing sweet about it anyway. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know what to say. I don't have an intro for this. Let's just move on. Go. Chapter 26, Parting. All right, so this is the evening after the night of the play, and Severian has walked all night and slept most of the day. So it's the end of two or two and a half weeks since Severian was exiled, less than a month since the elevation ceremony. Uh, It's been three full nights since Severian and Jonas arrived at the antechamber. And this is the night after the seventh morning since leaving Vodalus's camp. I'm, I'm counting from where Severian said it was the fourth morning after leaving mm-hmm. the camp. As a reminder, Severian slept in the woods and awoke in the early afternoon and walked since then. He says, after two or three watches spent in walking among the pale leaves of that noble yet doomed forest, I struck a broader path. And in another watch, when the shadows were lengthening, I halted sniffed the air, and found that the odor I had detected was indeed the reek of smoke. I was racked with hunger by that time, and I hurried forward. So he follows the path to a crossing, and there are four people sitting around a, quote, tiny fire. It's his drama troupe, Baldanders, Talos, Jolenta, and Dorcas. And it seems like the way Talos knew Severian would arrive in time at the Tessafon cross, right? Yeah. And the House Absolute. And he knows where to set up to encounter him. And Severian uh, sees Jolenta first. He says, quote, her aura of beauty made the clearing seem a paradise. 
Severin has a complicated relationship with Jolenta, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I also wonder if that has to do with the hints at like hypnotism or pheromones or something that when she starts to go apart. The- Who knows? Yeah. Because sometimes he really annoys her and then he has sex with her. And other times, yeah. you know, afterwards it's like, oh, she's. But the Cumaean mentioned something about that. Like as when she's falling apart. Yeah. And they're with the witches. The witches kind of hint that there was something else. Well, he says that there's like a hypnotic suggestion that can have an effect on other people. But yeah, this seems very, very strong. I don't I I always wonder about it. It's weird. And he has said before that he started to actually love Jolenta or at least feel something for her. But still having her aura of her beauty made it seem a paradise is seems a little over the top for that, especially Especially with how angry he was just a while ago. Yeah, and, yeah. and sometimes when he's describing her, she, she just seems ridiculous yeah. with you know her augmentations and such. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes she seems irresistible. Sometimes annoying. Sometimes ridiculous. I, then then Dorcas uh, saw him, and she ran and kissed him. And then he sees Talos peering over Baldander's shoulder. Uh, Baldander's head is is wrapped up in dirty bandages. He uh, he's usually wearing a baggy black coat, but now he's shirtless with his back covered in, quote, sticky ointment that resembles clay and smelled like stagnant water. Great. But the cloak, I'm trying to think, but the big black coat, people don't put him in that. And I'm trying to think of images that people have drawn recently, and I don't remember seeing that. But I do remember always in my head thinking that he was kind of like, Keanu Reeves, but huge. <laughs> like he's wearing the big long <laughs> overcoat. Like that's how I always picture him somewhere. But- yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it makes it perfect sense. He's and in some ways he's kind of like a a giant Severian, mm-hmm. right? Mm, yeah, he's got so the big black cloak actually fits quite well. Yeah, yeah. although his hair is gray, mm-hmm. and you know, and so Talus says we've all been wondering what became of you, but Baltander's gestures with his head that really only Dorcas was wondering. Uh, incidentally, I guess that last night is arguably another instance of Severian getting lost, right? He was ostensibly looking for Dorcas, and then he didn't know how to get back, and he just tells them, I, I ran. Yeah, I, I suppose so, And unless it's like he didn't know where he was going, but that brings up the whole thing about, like, then, well, wouldn't Thecla be able to recognize things? But we don't know how much he actually remembers. But yeah, yeah, I think you could put this up at some point to him at least potentially getting lost. Right. Yeah. By some, he, I mean, he theoretically should have been able to follow his path, footsteps right. back or something like that. Which then makes the meeting with the troop again and Talos sort of being ready for him even weirder. Yeah. Time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, he says, yeah, you know, Dorcas ran too. Uh, I know I was surprised the rest of you weren't killed. <laughs> and Talos says, yeah, almost. <laughs> But uh, Jalinta, she just shrugs. And Severian says she made, quote, the simplest movement of shrugging seem an exquisite ceremony. She said, but she says, she says, I ran away too. And and then she cups her, her huge breasts in her hands. So, you know, he had to grab her breasts so she, so they wouldn't flop around while she was running off. And uh, if we were discussing what Jalinta's take was regarding her time with Severian, she doesn't seem to be holding it against him. She ran into the dark and bumped into an exultant who, of course, told her that he would protect her. And then some Spahis showed up. Uh, Spahis, 
or spies, I guess, again, are Turkish cavalrymen. But in this case, I suppose it refers to the regular cavalrymen that the French recruited to police the population in North Africa. And I'd imagine these cavalry are of Autochthon extraction. That's kind of what I guess from the name. And Jolenta really liked their horses, and she figures she'd like to have some like them to pull her carriage one day. <laughs> Still optimistic. Yeah, this, this uh, chapter is going to be a big turn for her. And so, because she has no doubt, of course, she's going to have a carriage, although who's going to give it to her? I don't know. And she also says that with them, a high official who was a eunuch, she says, of the sort that cares nothing for women. She was hoping she'd be taken to the autark, whose pores outshine the stars themselves, which is how it happens in the play. And uh, this is ironic because the high official is most certainly the autark. Anyway, they shooed the exultant off and took her back to the theater. And when they got back, Talos was nursing Baldander's wounds and the soldiers were going to kill them all. But Jolenta thinks that she can see they didn't want to kill her. Anyway, when she got back, they all just let them go. So I actually hadn't made the connection that that was probably the autark. If it was, you know, I was still sitting there thinking, well, oh, it could be unique, could also be something else, could suggest, but yeah, it's, it's got to be. Oh, yeah. And, and Severian draws that connection, too, in the next yeah. chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, but um, the thing about her cupping her breasts there is it's such a weird sentence. <laughs> just, But also, it's just a weird thing that sort of is totally, at least to me, at least totally against the way that Severian is describing her here, right? Like paradise of the thing and whatnot. And to her, it's like these ridiculous things, you know, she's like, they're, <laughs> they're useful, but, you know, but Severian's still all waxing poetic about everything. Right. So it's kind of a, it's a neat moment of her being very, maybe sort of self-aware that she's not interested in Severian at all anymore. Like she's still right. interested in these officers. She but, was never you know, interest, really interested in Severian. Right, um, right. But she's just kind of, for now, it's just, at this point, it's not something she's using on Severian. As right. Far as she's yeah. Concerned. But it's having a, if if she's doing something, it's having an effect, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the the weird uh, thing about they were almost about to be killed, um, and I guess this it would be the Autark who let them go. I suppose I don't. Yeah, I mean, the, if they're the not soldiers, they're not going to kill, to kill them, and maybe, maybe I'm sure the soldiers did want to kill them. Yeah. And she does bring up the point. She says the way it nearly happened in the play, right? She actually brings. That yeah, she wants. She's hoping that up. they're going to take him to the to the autark, really, right? Yeah. Because the the soldiers come as her as Jahi, and uh, he arrests her and takes her, and they she ends up, you know, with the in the same room with the autark. Yeah, it's just a cool moment too because it very clearly draws attention to hey, stuff in the play almost happens in real life too. Yeah, so, yeah not that. Yeah. You need a big reminder, but it's, it's just kind of a fun, <laughs> fun note. So, so uh, Dorcas found the group that morning. And so they've been traveling north through the mountains ever since. Bald Anders is wounded, so he's progressing slowly, carrying all the baggage. They've been able to dump most of it, I suppose, because they don't need the theatrical supplies anymore. But there's still, you know, a lot, and Bald Anders uh, is still needed. So Severian is surprised to see Baldanders alive. He assumes that, you know, that if there anything, what they're going to do is kill Baldanders and stop mm -hmm. him from tearing everybody up, right? Yep. But Dorcas explains that Talos finally got him under control. And Talos then explains that not only are they alive, 
they're rich. A big purse full of Chrysos, golden coins. And they, they plan to go back to Lake Diaturna and hire the fishing village to rebuild the walls of their house, even though they got burned out only five years earlier. Talos figures rightly, you know, that they can buy the cooperation. Each of these Chrysos can hire a man for two years. So they think that they can hire 50 men and have them work every single day, all day. So do you think Talos talked the Autark into letting them live? Or did the Autark let them live because he knew they were connected to Severian and knew there was some big thing? No, no. He's giving them... In fact, uh, Talos recognizes that the reason that they got paid so much okay. is because they so, are connected. Because I just Severian. wanted to, to be sure, because like the soldiers were going to kill him because he caused chaos and who knows who he smacked down and, you know, everybody yeah. had to to flee and but yeah i think the that it must be because yeah the autark stepped in and for one reason or another still not right, exactly yeah, yeah, they clear if they if they had been you know yeah. given a free hand they probably would have killed them they probably so, would have or seen, at least yeah at least bald anders at the very least the autark yeah. knows that severian is involved in something bigger he might also know that talus and bald anders are involved in something bigger too i don't know i don't know yeah yeah well he probably knows well who knows what he knows yeah. about them i'm trying to think now he is i guess there's no reason for him to necessarily right. know, don't know but he must have known he did know that i mean they were invited to go for some reason but so bald danders is skeptical that any of the lake people are going to work with them but tal says oh they'll work i've learned something since last time let me tell you i have no idea what that means but it's got to be something about exploitation or something about how how to, how talk, to talk people, people into things maybe he's maybe he's just learned you know how yeah how how to buy off yeah uh, and talus's whole and thing such. is talk right he's he's all about being able to convince people to do things and to, to talk his way into situations so but just interesting that bald anders is like no it's been we, we've done too many horrible things and we'll see evidence of some of that <laughs> yeah uh but talus is right. no these these small don't you worry small i've people, got it <laughs> small people can be yeah can be convinced yeah, he's Bald Enders has created a, a, you know, like a, well, you think of him as like a serving robot that extends your powers, and in which case, in this case, social skills to uh, deal with yeah. all of them. Unless the it's also, it might not be social skills. It might be, you know, I'll take more of your kids and kill them or feed them to whatever <laughs> yeah. if you don't do something. So, yeah, who knows what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They will work, though. Yeah. So, Severian points out that some of the money belongs to the three of them yeah enjoy i hope you're enjoying all the money but some of it's ours and he but then talos says well i've you know i've already given jalenta and dorcas their shares and he's going to give half of what's left to severian i uh, remember that severian lost all his money to the praetorians three days ago but as the way of these fantasy stories go he's <laughs> flush with cash again and the protagonist will always be allowed to have plenty of money to do exactly what he wants uh, when he's out in the middle of nowhere and so you know why not just shower him with gold and but as soon as he he's really in a you know a situation where he can just buy himself a castle he's going to be out of money again yeah. right and it also money is a problem just long enough to get him to the next point of the adventure right like that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah to drive yeah. him forward to the next step and and when he leaves the tracks guess what mm -hmm. it's gonna be broke again so Talos divides the gold. What Talos says specifically is 
half of this is yours. After all, we wouldn't have had it without you. And Dorcas asks him to explain what he means. So Talos explains, and we've read this before, but you know, let's just try and make more sense of it. And by that, uh, you know, I mean, for me, uh, more sense now. So, so Talos says flatly that Severian has friends in high places. I own I have thought so for some time. A torturer wandering the roads like a vagrant was a bit too much even for Baldanders to swallow. And I have, I fear, an excessively narrow throat. Yeah, and Severian says that he's unaware he has any friends like that. And Talos says, at first, when I found you abed with Baldanders, I thought you might have been sent to warn us against performing my play. In some respects, it is, as you may have observed, at least in appearance, critical of the autark. <laughs> and Jolinda says sarcastically, yeah, yeah, somewhat. <laughs> and then he says, yet, yet surely to send a torturer from the Citadel to frighten a couple of strolling mountebanks would be an absurd overreaction. Then I realized that we, by the very fact that we were staging the play, served to conceal you. Few would suspect that a servant of the Autark would associate himself with such an enterprise. I wrote in the familiar's part so that we should hide you better by giving your habit a reason for existence. Yeah, and Severia denies this, right? And and Talos says, of course, I have no desire to force you to violate your trust. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but of course, it does seem right. You know, something about this. And Talos, I still have this seeing suspicion that Talos knows who and why a bit more than he lets on. I mean, maybe wrong. Oh, yeah, but... yeah. I mean, he he was really surprised when Severian said, I'm not going to House Absolute. I'm going to go talk to the Pelerians. Yeah. I'm going south. And, and then when Severian, when it turns out that, oh, the Pelerians have already left. They've already gone north. He says, oh, I guess I will go with you. And Talos is like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so Talos claims that Severian only approached them to hide out. And Talos added the role of the familiar to give him something to do in the play. Of course, if that were the only part, then you know, why didn't Talos enlist someone to take Severian's other roles? And it leaves us asking why Talos would want a government official included with them without remuneration. And when he, you know, when he'd already established that the authorities weren't after them and Talos intended to perform the play at House Absolute, the whole thing is ridiculous. So then he says, but as we were setting up our theater yesterday, a highly placed servant from the House Absolute, an Agamite, I think, and they're always close to the ear of authority, came asking if our troop was the one in which you performed and if you were with us. You and Jalinta had absented yourselves, but I answered in the affirmative. He asked then how great a share you had of what we made, and when I told him, said that he was instructed to pay us now for the night's performance. Yeah, you know, an Agamite, um, you know, I couldn't find this word really, uh, I, but I was able to find ag Agamite, which is a, a sexless reproductive cell, and I suppose that works for a eunuch. Honestly, Wolf claimed that he didn't troll uh through, uh, you know, the sources, he only employed, you know, interesting words from memory. And this appears to be a mild confirmation, at least in this case. It could well be. I, a, a gamete, though, I mean, I assumed he's, you know, talking about a eunuch who was the autark again. Uh, but I like that. An a yeah, gamete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's just a fun, fun way. I think it's also a confirmation there. that David Hartwell didn't do rigorous fact-checking on Wolf's words. <laughs> And that seems fair because, you know, some of these that, words are obscure. That goes back to my question. That goes back to my question. I always ask people like, why, what's it like to edit Wolf? And apparently people, people don't. That's just a word. He, he, he wouldn't put it down there if it wasn't, it wasn't real. One might argue that unfortunately interlibrary alone is proof that nobody edited Wolf. Yeah. Anyway. So, so Talos says that 
fellow that Jalinta mentioned, the eunuch, approached him and verified that Severian was with them and secretly laundered Severian's pay by paying the troop. He sums it all up by saying that it's lucky it worked out so well, quote, since this great ninny went charging out into our audience. It's a cool moment, too, because it's Talos making a theory like we're doing, right? Like he's saying, here are some facts and yeah. here's something I assume that fits with those facts. But it's right, but not quite right, too, at the same time. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, surely Talos didn't expect Baldanders to attack the audience. So I wonder... I, yeah, I really wonder if that was something or if that's more really proof that no Baldanders really can't control himself, right? Like yeah. he's, he's losing it. Well, and, yeah, so Severian says, you know, he's, he's, he's just pretending to be sane. He's mm -hmm. what he's really comfortable at is being insane. Yeah. 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 So I think that might make more sense. And I'm, I would assume Talos has an ending for the play. We just never get to see it. Yeah, even get it summarized. But Alas. no, I think I still at the moment I read it as Talos losing it. Baldender's losing his mind here is not intentional. And yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, obviously, they almost got killed, apparently. So, <laughs> so uh, Severian says that he can see that Baldender's actually appears hurt by this, you know, by by um, Talos saying, you know, this big ninny screwed everything up. He turns away to face the other way. I mean, is he hurt? Is he embarrassed? Talos was designed to be, you know, Baldanders' physician. If he's hurt, it's like, you know, really reacting to his own inner voice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably right. Like, I think it's not that Talos hurt his feelings. I think it's more probably that Baldanders realizes that he's failing somehow. Right, he screwed not, up somehow. Yeah, so, uh, but then Severian says, Dorcas had told me that when I'd slept in Dr. Talos' tent, I'd slept alone. Now I sense that the giant felt so. That for him, the clearing held only himself and certain small animals, pets of whom he was tiring. <laughs> Which is a different thing, but it is, it does get back to the way we had talked before about Baldanders kind of possibly being just sort of self-interested. And, yeah, and this would yeah. fit with that. But also, I like the thing here that he's, it's almost a bit more like an animal. The, but he's or only with other yeah, well, he's right. That's why they say. But he sees he sees all of them as as animals as animals, as, yeah. as you know. Pets, he even. he's yeah. a man who's alienated from all humanity. To mm -hmm. him, it's only him and everything else are experimental subjects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then Talos says, actually, Baldanders was fortunate. The Hyraduels dialed down their beams and tried to turn him back instead of killing him. He lives now through their forbearance and will regenerate. So we have two casual info drops here. Yep. The first is the term hierodules. This is only the second time anyone has used the word. It also was used in the title of the last chapter. But other than that, the only time anyone in this book used that term is Jonas in the antechamber when he says he's been trekking across the planet trying to find the hierodules, trying to get home. Once again, Talos uses the term without defining it, just like Jonas did. What Severian thought the term meant when Talos says it, I, I have no idea. Maybe it's a, a concept that is actually understood in the Commonwealth. Maybe he thinks it's a term for a cacogen he's just supposing, or maybe it's just a, he thinks maybe it's just a kind of soldier in the House Absolute. I don't know. Yeah, the, obviously Severian writing this knows, and so he could title the chapter The Hieroduels. But at the time, yeah, would he have known 
what they were. He uses the word cacogen shows up in the last. Right. Yeah. Well, sure. Last one, right? Apparently everyone um, knows about cacogens because they have yep. a term for them. They know that there are people, there are these alien beings uh, from other planets that show up. Occasionally. Yeah. But it would be really helpful to know if that was common knowledge or if that's something that only folk who know about Yesed and the bigger plan have, in which case it would seem, I mean, and obviously I think Talos and Baldanders in some way do since they're working with the guys. Right, right. But, now, yeah, in that case, they have a reason. Know. They could say, say oh, Harajuls, and mm -hmm. I don't know what he th thinks that their game is, though. Yeah. And at this point, too, if you do look it up or, or do a little, you know, Latin fun, then you figure out it says holy slave. Right. right. So, or, or Greek. Is it Greek? It's Greek. Yeah. Sorry, I said Latin. But no, if you do a little Greek homework, then you figure out it's holy slave. And That's... slave, of course, is uh, the term where we get the robot, right? It means I... slave. Is that, That's is that right. what it was? Is it is it Russian or Polish? Uh, Czech. Czech. That's what it was. It's like, yeah, I knew something like that. Cool. So the second info drop is that Baldanders has superior powers of regeneration. Although Severian probably doesn't cue to that. He probably figures, you know, Baldanders will just heal. That's what Dorcas figures he means. She says, I'm sure he'll heal. I feel more pity for him than I can say. Yeah, if it wasn't for playing D&D &D and a bunch of games where I knew regeneration was sort of a, a yeah. big, important spell, I would have thought he'll heal too. <laughs> so <laughs> instead of actually regrowing something. Yeah, Yeah, and Talos is too tender, perhaps. Talos knows Baldanders is not really someone first in line for pity handouts, right? But Talos explains that Baldanders is still growing and growing children have great recuperative powers. Severian <laughs> <laughs> so knows that Baldanders isn't a child. He appears middle-aged. Uh, and actually, Baldanders, as we know, is approaching 200 years old, at least. Talos just laughs it off. All right. That's kind of the end of that conversation for a while. So, And now... He says, Talos says, now we have come, as some poet aptly puts it, to the place where men are pulled apart by their destinations. We had halted here, Severian, not only because we were fatigued, but because it's here that the route toward Thrax, where you're going, and that toward Lake Diaturna and our own country diverge. I was loath to pass this point, the last at which I had hopes of seeing you, without making a fair division of our gains. But that is accomplished now. Should you communicate again with your benefactors in the House Absolute, will you own that you have been equally dealt with? Uh, Severian agrees. Yeah. Yes, he was. And Baldanders and Talos are going to Lake Diaturna, and Severian is going to Thrax. And Dorcas announces that she's going with Severian to Thrax. And Jolenta holds up her hand to Talos for him to help her rise so she can go with him. Apparently, there was no opportunity for Jolenta to be discovered at House Absolute. And I'm not sure what it is about her, but the authorities seem to be treating her like a contagion. Stay away from our exultants. But Talos says, uh, Baldanders and I will be traveling alone and we will walk all night. We will miss all of you, but the time of parting is among us. Dorcas, my child, I am delighted that you will have a protector. And he's speaking as if Jolinta is an inanimate object. He's not even going to tell Jolinta goodbye. She's not holding up her hand anymore. She, she's got her hand on Talos's leg now. He just says, come, Baldanders, we must be away. <laughs> yeah, and it it's really cold. It also makes me wonder if the fact that he talks to Dorcas and says, I'm glad you'll have a protector, is just sort of a formality because he knows Severian's important and Dorcas is important to him. Yeah, and but it's not 
that he actually feels that way. It really is sort of just as all this stuff he just kind of said is, is over formalized. He's yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, exactly. He yeah. does. He, he does exactly what he's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. So supposed to do. So he's just, he's not really even feeling for Dorcas. It's not that he likes Dorcas more than Jalenta or something. Yeah. It's just part of the programming you do in social situations with an important person who you might gain from at some other point. Right. Well, he so, did say to, to Severian that he liked him because he preferred Dorcas as though maybe he's making a judgment, but the, once again, could still be a manipulation. Yeah. And that's what hmm. Severian would want to hear. Could having be. since he did prefer Dorcas. But we, and we're going to find out too, of course, that Talos and Baldaners do all kinds of experiments on people. And so they're used to seeing those people as disposable. And exactly. So there's exactly. nothing really odd to them. about. Well, this. yeah. Well, when Severian's wandering through his, house mm -hmm. and there's all these people in these you know big tubes and all mm -hmm. he says what does he do with all these he says hmm, i don't know parts <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i mean he he really has no conscience about it at all so but severian does severian interrupts so he's like baldanders and i must speak privately for a moment could i ask the rest of you to move off a hundred paces or so yeah so this scene is a real confusion of motivations Severian looks at Baldanders with blood and gore and bandages, and he seems to feel some kind of pity. And what he's decided is that he's going to try to heal Baldanders with a claw. And of course, he wants to be alone when he does it. So Dorcas helps Jalinta up, and then she starts down the road to Thrax, uh, while Jalinta takes the road to Lake Diaturna. But Talos doesn't give them any space. He just stands there. So Severian repeats, you know, he wants to talk to Baldanders alone. And Talos says, what? Why? Baldanders will just tell me anything you tell him as soon as we're together again. And then he calls, Jalenta, come here, dear. Severian <laughs> says, don't call her back. She's leaving as, you know, just like I asked you to do. And Talos says, yes, but she's going the wrong way. I can't allow that. Jalenta. And Severian says, exasperated, doctor, I only wish to help your friend or, or your slave, or whatever he is. And then here's the big reveal. Baldander says, I am his master. And Talos confirms it as he dumps all the gold coins into Baldander's pants pocket. And Jalinta has come back as ordered, just bawling, Doctor, can I go with you? And Talos just says coolly, of course not. So Jalinta collapses in front of him. So Severian takes in Baldander's new information, and he keeps trying to get Baldy to let him use the claw on him. He says, Baldander's, I can help you. A friend of mine was burned as much as you not long ago, and I was able to help him, but I won't do it while Talos and Jalinta look on. Will you come with me only a short way back down the path toward House Absolute? But Baldander's won't go, and Talos assumes Severian is offering to chop off his head or something. He says... He knows the lenitive you offer. He himself <laughs> has provided it to many, but he loves life too much. And I actually think that line is a bit of a tell too, that he loves life too much. That's not just a joke saying he doesn't want to die, that he really is trying to live forever, to become bigger. Right. Whether yeah, it's yeah. for what he initially thought is, you know, noble purposes of fighting the Megatherians or just because he wants to live forever himself. Right. Um, yeah, that's the truth said in a joke. And the Harajuls who know 
the future, because they've been there, know that at some point someone's going to kill him off. Right? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he says the others will kill him. So, so Severian counters, he says, life is what I offer, not death. And Talos counters, oh, really? Where's your friend? <laughs> the one you were, that you offered this to before. <laughs> <laughs> so now this is a really interesting point. Severian healed Jonas. It is argued by some that what he actually did was resurrect Biogenus. So how about a Curiositus Earthus? Cool. Curiositas Urthus. So Jonas was already, uh, you know, feeling like he was going mad before the exultants, you know, burst in and whipped him. The Praetorians shocked him, and the ancient cycles of the antechamber were, you know, disorienting. Maybe what happened was that the Praetorians' attack had weakened Robo Jonas, allowing Bio Jonas, which had already begun to resurrect, maybe maybe proximity to Severian all this time. I don't know, or for me, who believes the claw is only demonstrating the presence of someone, something else, that this presence or action are what's affecting him. And then Severian really goes to work to heal him, and whammo, Biogenesis is back. So later, Dorcas is going to suggest the power of the claw to heal, and yes, I realize that it's, it's not the claw itself. But the power is not some life-giving, hippy-dippy force. It's the power over time. It's the power to revert a body to its former self before it was dead. So what would have happened if Severian had used the claw on Baldanders? You know, would, would all of the deformations that he'd done to his body be reversed? Would he return to his original state and thus, you know, immediately die because he's 200 years old? So maybe Talos wasn't so wrong. I like that, actually, because it does. And I've always I've become more and more friendly to the idea that, yeah, with the claw, whether it's you know, Severian's blood or just the power of the new sun itself, what it does is it manipulates time. Yeah, like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So what would it do to Baldi? Would it just make him better? Probably not. I mean, it would see for the same reason that the claw doesn't do anything for Jalenta, right? Because of all these right. artificial things. He didn't things. want to be, he didn't want to be healed. Yeah. Right? Same yeah. thing. So, but it's almost like artificial things don't necessarily get better themselves, right? When he heals Jonas, it doesn't heal his mechanical parts. Like if it was magic, then it seems like it would just make every part of him better. Maybe I don't know. Well, maybe it or, would heal his or, or mechanical maybe it would, parts. but it, it didn't. Yeah. Like we don't, I don't think it did at least it, it made the scar. How much, how damaged were his mechanical don't know. parts? Was that, it's never, that part's never really explained. So, yeah. but I mean, that's the that, thing. We don't really know if those mechanical parts are self healing yeah. over time or something. But that's starting to get into that weird situation where when he, when he quote unquote heals Baldanders, what counts as a wound, right? Is something natural right. or unnatural? And I mean, that's one thing that people have argued about with the claw forever is does it only work sometimes on, you know, human bodies as opposed to robot bodies or fake things like yeah. Jalenta? I think it is more about time. And so it would probably, yeah, it would, it would revert something. And for some reason it, 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 if it did, or maybe it would be like with Jalenta where it has no effect because the damage that has been done to Baldanders was sort of intentional and, and self-made and, yeah. and that kind of thing. So, 
Well, you know, healing Jonas kind of drove him insane because it left him with two separate minds, equally, you know, vying for consciousness. So maybe for Jolinta, it, it wouldn't have been all that appealing because maybe she'd be returned to her state, you know, somewhat burned out. Uh, all I can say is, you know, check out the novel An Evil Guest. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, then there's Severian's upcoming healing of Earth. How many are going to thank him for that? Not many contemporaries, I'll tell you that. And the healing isn't making things better now. It's getting it ready, better for the future. Different, right, different yeah. situation altogether. Although that maybe that's the way to think about it. That, that what it does is it doesn't <laughs> set things back to where it was, but it helps things progress if they're going to be useful. Restart. Uh, maybe so, yeah. Well, anyway, as Baldanders picks up the handles of his cart to leave, Severian keeps trying, like any proselytizer, begging some sinner to let him save him. He says, Baldanders, do you know who the conciliator was? And Baldanders says, that was long ago. It does not matter. So when he says that was long ago, this is a point where Baldanders is specifically saying the past doesn't matter, mm -hmm. which in the context of how the story works is a problem, right? <laughs> it seems like another thing that Baldanders kind of gets wrong because the whole point of evolution is looking at the past and, and becoming something stronger or better or learning from it. Well, to be fair, um, he's operating against evolution in every way, right? right? Right, right. Or or trying to do it, but in a in an unnatural mm -hmm. way or, or in a self-interested way, right? So, but I just like that he says that here because what Severian does, right, is he remembers everything. The past, however long ago it was, it still is perfectly present to him right then. And so that's just sort of another mark against Baldan, I think, <laughs> the fact that he's like the past. So he heads down the road to Lake Diaturna. Uh, Dr. Talos tries to follow him, but Jolinta is clinging desperately to his arm. It's it's hard to say what Dorcas thinks about all this. Uh, finally, Talos says, Severian, you have guarded a good many prisoners according to what you've told me. If Baldanders were to give you another Chrysos, would you hold this creature until we're well gone? Severian is regretful looking at Baldanders so injured and refusing his help to help him. So he's still, so he's standing, you know, between the two roads and, and pleading with Baldanders to accept his salvation. And this really does look more and more like a Christian allegory. Uh, don't go down the road to Lake Diaturna. Let me, you know, <laughs> heal you and save you instead. Yeah, the choice. Yeah. The choice, yeah. I mean, it is two roads diverging. Right, yeah. You know, converging and diverging in the wood, so. Yeah. Um, so, Talos asks Severian, look, I'll give you a, another of these uh, gold coins if you'll hold on to Jalenta until we're out mm -hmm. of here. And, you know, Severian's always looking for a side gig, but he can't accept <laughs> bribes. He says, as a yeah. member of the guild, I can't accept commissions only from legally constituted authorities. <laughs> so, so all of a sudden the bureaucrat comes out. Yes. Once again, we haven't seen that. Yet. Yeah. yeah. So, so Talos offers him an ultimatum. Talos doesn't mind killing, but it appears his nature is not to kill unless it's absolutely necessary. And he says, we will kill her then when we are out of your sight. Uh, meanwhile, Severian is not to be threatened. All the cold heartedness is coming out. He says, well, that's a matter between you and her. And then he heads down the road to Thrax. It's also a weird thing for Talos to say, because I get the sense from what happens in Lake Diaturna that they they don't have a problem killing and maiming all the time unless they, they... well, I mean, that's really Baldander stuff. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a problem, but he doesn't, you know, if he's told or told to facilitate, he does it. But he does it, but he does give, he, he makes an actual attempt 
to do something besides killer. Maybe maybe he considers that to be more have more complications. It'd be better to have Severian, mm. you know, do that. Yeah. All right. So Severian's walking down the path to Thrax. He's almost reached uh, Dorcas, and then they hear Jalinta screaming. When Dorcas asks, you know, what's that sound? And Dor- Severian tells her, uh, when Talos says he's going to kill her as soon as he, she, she was out of our sight. And she says, and you let her go? And Severian lamely <laughs> says, oh, oh, I, I didn't, didn't think, think you meant it. <laughs> Loser, <laughs> <Yeah>. man. <laughs> so, so they go back following the screams, and then the screams suddenly stop. And there's dead silence in the woods. And Severian says, I felt certain we were too late. And so I was, if the truth be known, only hurrying because I knew Dorcas would be disappointed in me if I did not. <laughs> and just to throw a good writing moment in there, too, he says that we heard her with that the screams were succeeded by a silence so profound we could hear the rustling of a dying leaf. Like yeah. it's just if you're if you're looking for you know a good good flowery word that that's pretty good. You know, that was you pretty hear good. the yeah. dying yeah. leaf when you think someone's dying. So, hey. But this is definitely uh, the nail in the coffin of readings that suggest the purpose of Varian's memoir is the it's some sort of self-aggrandizement for a political <laughs> document, right? Yeah, yeah. This is this is totally nobody's going to read this and say, "Gosh, you are such a yeah. jerk." I was naive and very naive and yeah. also naive. Yeah. I was. I, I'm e- either I was stupid or I was just a a serious jerk. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, you know. It turns out she's not dead. She was only mostly dead. All right, Miracle Max. No, she actually, <laughs> she's running toward them. She's running pigeon-toed with her knees together because of her massive thighs, clasping her massive breasts to keep them from flailing around. And he says, her glorious red-gold hair fell across her eyes and the thin organza shift she wore had been slashed to tatters. And I think Talos... Uh, beat her first with his cane and there were welts on her back and and then maybe with the flat of that hidden sword strip you know to strip her shift and when she reaches Dorcas's arm she just passes out yeah and that line too where he says it, her glorious red gold hair so she still has whatever some spell about her in some right, way that's yeah. still even in the midst of all this other horrific stuff that's still working on him exactly at so, some point yeah, yeah. So, so organdy is a stiff cotton fabric. It, it's sheer as in see-through. It, it's from French, and it might be derived from the French name for urganch uh, in Uzbekistan, where I guess is you know, where the French originally obtained the fabric. Organza was a word based on that word. It's like organdy, but it's made of silk instead of cotton. Hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, Dorcas says, they've beaten her, those devils. Dorcas is so good. You just want her to get away from Severian. He's such a jerk. He's no good for her. <laughs> Severian is looking at this as a glass has half full. He says, a moment ago, we were afraid they would kill her. <laughs> it was only Dallas <laughs> beating her true. with his cane. <laughs> it's a fair point. Yeah. So. Yeah. He says, she's lucky he didn't set Baldanders on her. <laughs> Great. Which I guess yeah. I wonder, well, I guess Baldanders went down the road. So yeah. And, but yeah. Well, I mean, no, actually, as we're going to find out, what Baldanders was doing was just ripping her off. He was taking all of her money. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Being, well, well, Talos was beating her. He was grabbing the money. 
So Dorcas wants the variant to do something. So he pulls out the claw and he shows it to her. He says, do you remember the thing we found in my saber tash that you said was no true gem? Well, this is what it was. And it seems to help injured people sometimes. So he holds it over Jolenta's head and runs it along the bruises on her body, but it doesn't do anything. Uh, you know, it's the erratic nature of the claw working sometimes, not others. It's just a mystery that Severia never solves in his own mind, not even in Earth of the New Sun. So Dork is telling- Is this the first time we see it not work? No, well- uh, It worked on- Jonas tried to get him to use it on to open the door maybe true and nothing but happened. we know it it worked on the ulan it worked on jonas it worked on severian in the sanguinary field it changed it and, it, it, it uh, changed the water yep. into wine so this yeah. is the first time that it's used specifically intentionally but it doesn't work and he yeah. doesn't really stop to to philosophize about that right here but it is a big super big question mark yeah 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 it's not the last time either it's weird yeah and it's it's odd too because if you know when you try to think about all the different things that go into why does the claw work sometimes and and why not this time it seems like it would be a good point like jolenta maybe let's let's grant that maybe all of the cosmetic stuff that she did was self-interested okay i think she was probably seduced a little bit by talus but let's let's grant yeah, but she doesn't want to give it up she doesn't want to give true, it up she doesn't want to true. go back so right? it doesn't help her with that side of stuff but here she just got the crap beat out of her right like there's yeah. there's absolutely nothing she, about she would that. surely want to be healed from that i would yeah. think so i mean it, you'd have to try to come up with some really weird thing that oh she was beaten because she was trying to you know stay with her cosmetic drug dealer or something like that you know but that's that's a big stretch like like she yeah, there's nothing about what she did here that would deserve that. that rejected, re yeah. right, rejected the healing. Yeah. Of course, on the other hand, like I said, it maybe, maybe uh, the healing would have involved, you know, healing all those other things about her as well. I don't know. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, they, they, well, yeah, that's a good, now, but, you, you know, you mentioned the artificiality. It didn't, it didn't heal Jonas's robot parts, but it does seem to have resurrected his bio parts, which didn't do his robot parts any 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 help certainly yeah it didn't i don't guess it really harmed his robot parts but if you think about the 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 bio parts all by themselves then you know maybe it, over time it would have grown a whole new body yeah theoretically so but i know we've each seen so many different reasons for why the claw works sometimes and, and why not but this everyone's is... having yeah people people theorize it over and over yeah oh yeah but this is the first time it doesn't and so it seems like if there is something regular or a point to be figured out about why it works sometimes and why it doesn't, this, this is, is a good place, place to figure it out. Should, yeah. The clue yeah. should be here, uh, yeah. but we don't get much. We just know that he tries yeah. and it doesn't work. So Dorcas tells Severian to carry her over his shoulder and to be careful of her injuries. So Dorcas carries his sword and he says, Jalinta is really heavy for a woman her size, I suppose because of all her artifices. Mm -hmm. Eventually she comes to, but you know, she can barely even stand without assistance. Severian records that she could barely even quote, comb back her extraordinary hair with her fingers to let us better see the tear stained oval face. Oval again, face of the oval face. Yeah. She says, this is interesting. I will be destroyed. Now she doesn't say I will die. And I'm not certain whether her condition is lethal without Talos's special treatments. I think we should pay attention 
in the rest of this volume and, and try to decide one way or another. I, I know she does eventually die, but I'm not certain she didn't die, you know, just because she lost the will to live. At this point, I don't think she cares whether she'll die. She says she'll be destroyed like an object. Her beautiful, erotic presence will be lost. It will be as if Jalinta herself will be abolished and some other thing will remain. And in this way, I think uh, Diane Lambert and Joan Gordon were correct about her. She's a warning against identifying your person with the male gaze or the female gaze in her case as well, the erotic gaze. But what is the post-gender essentialist term? Erotic gaze? I would yeah. guess so, yeah. So Varian is uh, confused by all this. He says, why do you say you'll be destroyed? But she just shakes her head. And then she says, may I go with you, Severian? I, I don't have any money. Baldanders took away what the doctor had given me. Hmm. So Baldanders is a thief. Talos is particular about agreed on accounting and he's not greedy, but he was designed to do the things that, uh, and to be the things, you know, that Baldanders was not. Baldanders beats a woman and takes what she has. Uh, if they'd known earlier, Dorcas probably would have insisted this fair and get it back. And, you know, he'd have complied since he didn't want to do anything that would make Dorcas think less of him. But really, you know, she doesn't seem to care about the money, except that she doesn't have any. Yeah. I guess you could also assume that at that point, it wouldn't be an argument they'd have to fight. And he may just be like, you know, if they've already willing to do that to Jalenta, then them yeah. going after him, you know, well, they may have decided it's too much trouble. Fine. It's yeah. here. Take the money. I don't Could care. Be. Who knows what Could would be. have happened, but, yeah. uh, you know, Severian was a jerk and <laughs> didn't, didn't hang around to find mm. out. Uh, so we also find out that Talos gave her less than Dorcas and Severian. And I assume he docked her for the cost of her treatments. Mm. Yeah, that would make sense. But Jolenta is now getting petty over it. She tells Severian, she has money too, more than I got, as much as the doctor gave you. And Dorcas says, he knows that. And he knows any money I have is his if he wants it. And yeah, that's a weird moment too there. It's an odd conversation to have right at that point. It seems like it's like all of a sudden. Right. And I. It's not very diplomatic. Yeah. Not very. There's no, not a lot and of social skills going it's on like I, there, but she's, it one makes me wonder how much of that is Wolf wanting to do something. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's. If it's well, I mean, she's. To her, it's almost like yeah. Talos was oh, yeah. cheating on her, right? And it makes sense for Jalenta to complain about that. It's Dorcas's, it, it, it's not a petty reaction, but it's just like she stands up for all of a sudden. It's defensive. It's just it's defensive, it's a weird thing yeah. at that moment. Because it's not. Well, she kind of accuses her of hiding money mm, from I guess Severian. So, yeah. And she's like, well, he knows that I have yeah, um, that's true. all the money. He, that's he true. knows it's all his. Yeah, but just an odd tone. It's like a, a weird thing in that moment. And it's, it, I think it just strikes me because there are a lot of points in wolf conversations sometimes where things take a weird little turn for just a short mm -hmm. amount of time. And I, it's like you said, it's socially awkward. And I, it's, it's like, that's right. Like there's a lot of things that do that sometimes. And I wonder if that's intentionally done or if that's just a quirk of wolves for moments well, I like think, that. I you don't know. Get a, get, the trick here with his voices is to try to determine how they're talking in Wolf's mm -hmm. head. Yeah. So uh, Severian just tries to change the subject. Okay, look, I just need you guys to know that I'm not going straight to Thrax. If you were excited about going to Thrax, 
I'm not going there. I'm going to go try to find the Pellerines. <laughs> and Jolenta thinks this is the stupidest thing she's heard. First of all, who knows where they are? It turns out they can reliably be found on any battlefield in the North. But also, Severian, you're not allowed to become a Pellerine. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's another weird assumption. She's like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not joining them. Yeah. And of course, Severian's plan is to find them and return the claw. And although he doesn't you know, mention it to Jolenta, he explains that he only wants to find them. Before they entered the Piteous Gate, Severian heard that they were headed north. But wherever they are, he's going to go there, even if he has to go back to the south. And Dorcas is just loyal to Severian. She says, I I'm going where you're going. I'm not going to Thrax. <laughs> and Jolenta says, and I'm going nowhere. So she doesn't care where they go. Right? All of a sudden, it's a Samuel Beckett play. <laughs> no, I'm not going. I'm going with you. I'm going. Yeah. So, you know, as I've said elsewhere and before, if you want insight into a character arc with Jolenta as the protagonist, just go read Wolf's 2009 novel, An Evil Guest. All the motivations, all the risks, everything. Check it out. I mean, you've got to read it to the end to get it. It, it doesn't have the beautiful prose, the Book of the New Sun, but there's an incredible number of ideas, including some of his clever world-building ideas in Operation Ares. Yep. So Jolinta is walking on her own now, and Severian and Dorcas end up walking ahead of her. They look back, and you know, she's not crying anymore, but Severian can see that her beauty, such as it is, is already starting to fade. He hardly recognizes her. So I guess, you know, he, you know, she hasn't had her treatments today. Yeah, and hasn't had her hormone shots or pheromones yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But still she's gonna bear up and and, and he he writes that before, quote, she had held her head proudly and even arrogantly. Her shoulders had been thrown back and her magnificent eyes had flashed like emeralds. Now her shoulders drooped with weariness and she looked at the ground. So it's definitely both, I think, an attitude and mm -hmm. confidence, but also there is, it seems to me, something else going on that ad yeah thing. i think so it's yeah, not, something is, she's fading she's fading, yeah right? yeah and even though i think it's the communion who says or suggests hypnotism or something might have mm -hmm. might have just given her and maybe just being confidence. having talos rejector has been a jar to that yeah hypnotism. yeah and i think that's what i probably read the very first time i did it was just that she's she's crushed now and it's overcoming all of her plastic surgery or whatever mm -hmm. but i think it's more than that uh, yeah i think so uh, so now Dorcas wants to know what Severian was trying to tell Baldanders about the conciliator. She knows all about that guy, or, you know, she says there's legends. She wasn't sure from Severian's tone if he was asking them for information about the conciliator or if he wanted to know if they knew. And Severian says, well, yeah, I know very little, nothing really. I've seen pictures that are supposed to be of him but they differ so much they can hardly be the same man. Most of the legends I've heard about him sound very foolish. And now, for the first time it's recorded, he misses Jonas. He says, yep. I, I wish Jonas were here. He would take care of Jolenta, and he would know about the conciliator. And of course, Jonas would love it if he could be there to take care of Jolenta. But I think he didn't believe he was the sort of man that Jolenta could love. And that's why he entered the mirror. And that's what I think. So Dorcas asks where Jonas is now. And Severian says, I don't know. And I don't want to talk about it. Just tell me about the conciliator. I, you know, there's a strange aside here, Craig. No doubt it was foolish. 
But as soon as I mentioned that name, I felt the silence of the forest like a weight. The sighing of a little wind somewhere among the uppermost branches might have been the sigh from a sickbed. The pale green of the light-starved leaves suggested the pallid faces of starved children. Ugh. Which is a really cool thing, because it's about the world being tired and sad and, and dying, really. Uh -huh. I mean, that the you know, the little wind, the sigh from a sick bed could be that, but then the pale and the light starved leaves, you know, suggest starving children, which is, yeah, exactly what is happening to earth. Yeah. It's so, a mood here. It's not, he's not really conveying nothing specific, right? but if it's that the moment that he says conciliator, it reminds you of everything that is not conciliated stake, around you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. So, you know, Dorcas tells him what she knows. Yeah. No one knows much about him, and I probably know less than you do. I don't even remember now how I learned what I know. Anyway, some people say he was hardly more than a boy. Some say he wasn't a human being at all, not a cacogen, but the thought tangible to us of some vast intelligence to whom our actuality is no more real than the paper theaters of the toy sellers. Oh uh, yeah, so uh, paper theaters like uh, like those Asian puppet shows where they have flat paper and the puppets are displayed as shadows behind the screen. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's my reading. And also, of course, we've just come through a play, and to talk about plays here is less real than you know something in this case, you know, tangible like a vast intelligence. Uh, it it borders on something philosophical and metaphysical at that point, um, but then also to mention then that our lives are just like the play is again pointing out that there might be some higher reality out there that works on something so it's just sort of associating all these different ideas in the moment here but it's all dorcas kind of in a complicated way saying she doesn't know <laughs> is there something you know extra textually uh being stated in derision of the um the undines puppet show it could be, yeah. I mean, I think that you could see it as when, well, I, I, I look at it this way, that the, the point of a puppet show too, part of what makes it not real is that the characters don't control themselves, that mm. they're controlled by someone else. And I think that's kind of, call it the, the real punch of the dream of Severian being in a puppet show is that I'm having this big battle with this guy, but I don't really know why I'm there and I'm just a, you know, I'm being controlled by something else. I'm just one actor on a stage, Yeah. but I don't really have control over what I do or say or what the outcome is. Like that's, that's sort of why it's supposedly less real, I think. And the same thing here, it's like, you know, the real things that go on where real decisions are made and things actually matter are somewhere else. But if you're just in a puppet show, you're, you're going, you're literally just going through the motions but you're not, your soul is not involved, you could say. But I, I like the, I like the Asian puppet show too and the shadows on the screen, that that works even better because it's a kind of, again, it just, it adds that extra layer of what you're seeing is the absence of light. Like it's already, it's a puppet, which isn't real, but you're not mm -hmm. even seeing the real puppet. You're only seeing what's blocked, right? Very, very allegory of the cave-ish too, so. Right, cool. yeah. So. So he continues, the story goes that he once took a dying woman by the hand and a star by the other. And from that time forward, he had the power to reconcile the universe with humanity and humanity with the universe, ending the old breach. Oh, okay. So 
let's talk about this dying woman. I guess one is the the star, one is the new sun. The other is is Thecla the dying woman. It could be more the it could be healing the girl, right? The the when he reshapes her arm, like there's there's part of that that he he gives her hope. I mean, she was dying in the sense that she had no hope, right, and that she was going to be. But he says that from that time forward, he had the power to reconcile the universe with humanity. Yeah, that that kind of thing that when it's phrased like that, it sounds to me like it like a fable. You know, it's like it's not it, it, not like a necessary cause and effect thing. It's just saying that because he was able to do this thing, then good things happen from that. Like it's not well, really about healing woman, the then, woman. Yeah, I mean, I think I see it more as like it's a symbol of connecting something heavenly, the star, with the world. And I see. so it could be, you know, in, in that sense, every dying woman who he connects to and resurrects some way like Thecla, you know, that's the same kind of thing. He resurrected Thecla inside of himself. Hmm. That works. Um, it also works for literally the first time he says he feels the power of the star and can reshape her arm, you know, after he in Earth of the New Sun when he can do it. And that's when he first really starts to feel himself be connected to the star and the new sun and know what his purpose was that works too so Suriaka was also doomed or dying you know, yeah. in a sense yeah and so that's I why was, i said it seems more like hmm. a fable like it's so abstractly said that it's yeah it works for so many different things um but i like that the old breach like i like talking about the difference between humanity and the universe as being an old breach that's separated right. out. So something about this puts puts humanity back in its proper relationship with the rest of the universe, which is very, I don't know, it is kind of a good Christian story, but it's also as a Catholic, it just sort of says, oh, you can, like, this is overcoming original sin pretty easily. But I guess, I mean, I guess, it, again, as a fable. Yeah. Well, a conciliator, like, I think I think we brought it before that a conciliator is conciliator, like the, the mediator. Yeah. Um, there's one mediator between God yeah. and men, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yep. Jesus was that. Yeah. So, but no, I can definitely see yeah. that as Thecla too. And because that right. starts the whole story, right? That starts the whole process. And so that would, that would work in that sort of cause and effect thing that, you know, it's, he took her by the hand and then connected to the star through the claw, through himself, through his destiny. And that started the whole process. It works. Yeah. So then she also adds, he had a way of vanishing, then reappearing when everyone thought he was dead, reappearing sometimes after he'd been huh. Now I, I'm not so naive that I believe all this had to have been relayed by Kanag and put into the book of the new son. Uh, Severian will reappear after he's been laid to rest in his tomb or house as Apu Punchao, but it would be hard to say how anyone would know about it unless, you know, Earth of the New Sun became a kind of holy object as well. I'll just say, you know, versus Varian <laughs> and leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Could also be metaphorically how what happens with Severian when he almost is drowned and buried basically in the guile mm -hmm. at the beginning, right? And then he he comes back. I mean, there are a bunch of different ways you could yeah. kind of find you could find, yeah, allegorical meaning or or just analogies to what that kind of thing. Because it's all phrased in that, yeah, very vague right. fable like like language. So then he also says he might be encountered as an animal speaking the human tongue. And he appeared to some pious woman or other in the form of roses. Yeah, uh, he might be encountered as an animal speaking in human tongue. Uh, I don't, 
I mean, I could see Mount Rubius pulling that off, uh, you know, a quaster Mount Rubius. But well, here's where you go on weird, weird paths when you try to read these passages as literal. Well, and what that should immediately make you think it's of. just an alzabo right <laughs> it's like severian got eaten <laughs> right well that's exactly it like it but that's precisely i think the point here that that it's that is a, a flash to the alzabo which is something we're going to read later of course but when then oh, when maybe you read- yeah maybe the maybe the story of the alzabo gets in to the lost book of the new sun and you know, it just gets, oh, they just read a piece of it. Oh, okay. So he was a speaking animal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Total brown book kind of moment where where different pieces get mixed up. It also suggests, though, that maybe the Alzabo actually does resurrect people. Like the whole part of that point is that it's not really them, right? It's not, it's not exactly them. But we know how much Wolf likes to think about clones and doubling of souls and part of your soul splitting up, especially, you know, long and short sun where your soul can come in different ways. And so your soul can have an identity in all kinds of different ways and you can actually have multiple identities. So it, the idea that the conciliator could appear in the Alzabo or even in the Alzabo's power, like maybe it's not really here about the Alzabo, but the fact that what Severian does by becoming the Autark who can remember everything, like, you know, can make the voices speak in his head just like they speak through the Alzabo because of the the medicine. Um, there's something there, you know, it's, it's, it's going a long way, but it's, it's that it's possible. It's there. And then of course appeared to a pious woman in the form of roses. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. I mean, as for the pious woman, he's, yeah, he 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 specifically associates that with Holy Catherine in his yep. elevation, right? Yeah. yeah. But of course, Thecla and false Thecla's perfume is burning roses. And Severian thought he sensed the maid at his elevation ceremony in his room and then smelled burning rose. So wow, there's that. But yeah, I can see how you take the story of the elevation ceremony and just all that's left of it are, are, are roses and a pious woman and the conciliator. Mm-hmm. You got nothing else. Yeah. 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 So it, it does. That's another kind of cool moment where in that we get another sort of retelling of the book of the new sun, just in incredibly brief form. Right. But all these things are parts of Severian story again. Exactly. Yeah. And except now they're, they're with the Christ figure for the first time. But Dorcas says that there are darker legends that frightened her, but she doesn't remember them. And she says, doesn't that Brown book talk about him? And I guess it has an index because Severian pulls it out. <laughs> and sure enough, it does. But he, you know, he can't read it now. He'll have to check that out when they you know, stop to camp. But you know what? He never does. Nope. <laughs> of course, mm-hmm. he doesn't record it if he does. So, But that's another way of saying, too, that you know, there are much darker things that happen just like all the stuff that's happening in new sun. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so all that stuff is just another kind of confirmation. And like, in some ways I feel like this is one of the first times in the book that Wolf just specifically kind of lays out. Yeah. And guess what? Severian's going to be the conciliator. Like we know he's going to become the autark, but this is the first time where, you know, even if, even if the play just totally, even if you skip the play, you could read this section and there's enough there, even if it's just 
the yeah, roses. He's, he's and, hinting, wait a minute, is there some sort of possible, some sort of connection between Severian and the conciliator? Yeah. And you can and put it together it. really if you've, if because you, he oh, talks yeah. about the a walker in the corridors of time. Yep. Okay, well, you could figure that out. Yep. So this is it. Like, this is the first, like I said, it's the big tell right there where I think it's, you know, if you fill in the dots and you're like, oh, okay, so Severian yeah, is going to become the conciliator. Yeah. And so before then, the suggestions about that, or before this point, at least, the suggestions about that are oblique and, and kind of vague. But from here on out, there are going to be more and more times when the conciliator comes up that it's it's much more obviously right severian yeah. and he even although it passed by of, a lot of readers all right oh not, yeah not yep yep but and he even starts to he never quite comes out and says that but so many of the things that he does like falling into his own eye like you know mm -hmm. recognizing that he's walking on holy ground and that the power of the claw was was him right because right. it had his blood in it all those things are very much severian himself realizing that right he's following that path yeah we're following i mean we've got we've had got all these hints of christ references already and now you know then you can you can say oh conciliator he is the conciliator yeah right so i was trying to think if there's something like why why in this particular place would wolf give that reveal um if if it's a reveal or at least sort of like thematically why put it here um it could just you know it's a weird point because <laughs> they've <laughs> They, you know, you just lost some of the weird characters. Jolinta's just been, had the crap beat out of her. They're just kind of on the road going somewhere. So was there some big thing that just happened that would make Severian like, like become the conciliator here? Like, was there some big moment of decision? And there wasn't, right? He was just wandering in the woods and ran into him and got paid and then a woman who he had sex with got the crap beat out of right her. but is that like why does that have some big theological meaning i don't know like this is one question that really is a question like why wolf would would he put it here at this point is there some significance to it being in this chapter especially one called partings where it seems like this whole mm -hmm. legend is more about joining stuff like you finally figure out how stuff's connected um and I don't know, there may be, there may not be. It may just be that it's a good Wolfian place to kind of throw this in, to be like, wait, what? You know, when, when all this other plot stuff is just happening. Because this is relatively heavy yeah. plot chapter, well, right? Like, it's, Yeah, but, you know, structurally, yeah. you know, as, as I said over and over, you know, the play is is sitting right in the middle of, That's true. Yeah. of the original manuscript. And so this chapter here, it's really the beginning of the next half Mm -hmm. of the book that's true and, and it's they called have... parting it's like a division between yep. two two ways and we so. joked about that you know two roads diverge in a wood and yeah they two different ways went on so exactly yeah it it does work that way absolutely right yeah. so well i mean i don't know that's that's my best shot but you know if if you've got a question you got a comment you got a correction you got a complaint about you know why we get the big reveal about Severian being the conciliator here. Uh, well, you know, bring it to the Facebook group, bring it to the subreddit or Twitter or email or patron site or the master Slack channel. You can find out how to do all those things in the show notes. Uh, you know, uh, tell your wolf reading friends because, you know, that's really the main way that anyone would end up reading or listening to something like this and sit around for two hours, uh, listen to you guys talk about a single chapter in a book. 
if you say, you know, this was good. I, it was it was a favorable experience when I did it. It, it felt like a warm, furry glove going over my shoulders. Um, don't don't make him start with the three hour episode on the last. Uh, that's, that would be probably, a bad idea. Better. Although when you think about it, if you have them start with the three hour episode, everything else was like, wow, this is a really short episode. Yeah, they got so, so good at being concise. And <laughs> yeah, just forced them to listen to three hours the first time. <laughs> So anyway, uh, until we continue, you know, marching north with Severian and his ladies, uh, may the Moira favor you. And take the path that leads to Thrax. And talk to <laughs> oh, you, you know, people. I want to talk about that. So, oh, oh, turn from the path to Diaturna. Go to the path that leads to the great torture uh, facility <laughs> at, at the end of this road. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know. Jesus did have to die and suffer, so yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, but that's not what Severian's <laughs> going off to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, everyone. Take care. You say you love me and you're thinking of me, but you know you could be wrong. You say you told me that you want to hold me, but you know you're not that strong. Rod Stewart as a man. Rod Stewart, the singer? The, the singer. Oh, you don't have an opinion. I mean, his voice ought to be okay to me. I, it'd be, mm -hmm. It's kind of up in my wheelhouse and all, but things about, oh, maybe I'll just go back to making my living play in pool. And I'm thinking, no, you're not. You, you can't You can't safely go into a pool hall. And you know, he says, don't tell me you love me because in the morning because I'll just kick you out the door. I said, I don't think so, little man. I think you better, better not start any fights with her. I had a girlfriend in college who, for some reason, 
loved him and she dragged me to a concert um in dallas and it would have been like you know mid 90s or something and it was in reunion arena like the big a big place where the stars play now and and i remember just being like this guy's old <laughs> and that was like 25 <laughs> well, 30 yes, years ago <laughs> and i know and and He's i was like i guy. Yeah. you know I mean, I'm like, I think when I was in middle school, I had one of his like greatest hits records or something, <laughs> but I was like 12 or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, this is just, she was like, this is so awesome. I'm seeing, I'm like, I don't have that <laughs> feeling. I just, so, yeah. And then there was a philosophy professor of mine in college whose name was Rod Stewart and he had a bunch of Rod Stewart's albums. Well, he just probably felt like he just, just had to. Put but... up. Yeah, he had to because everybody mentioned yeah. it. So, yeah. But so we'd have like, but that's unfortunate for him. Of, I mean, I, yeah, he, he got, he got a Grammy for a song forever young, which is such a straightforward mm -hmm. rip off of a Dylan song. I think, Oh, come on. And then, and I, and even, you know, it's not even his fault, but you know, he, he covered, uh, he, was it Christy Brinkley? He married, sorry. I'm like, um, there's some famous model or actor. No, you're thinking of Billy Joel. That's Billy Joel. Okay. never mind. But but sorry. But well, sorry. I mean, you know, and then he then he, you know he covered a uh, a Tom Waits song, and and got a Grammy for it, and I you know, thought, oh, he did. Yeah, he's got what you've song? got no business. <laughs> it's like I mean, he's got the sort of the husky. Like, yeah, the yeah, he did. He did. Thing, uh, yeah, he did. Downtown Train. Tom, Tom Waits is Downtown Train. Oh, that's a that's a Tom Waits. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. It's, it's kind of poppy for Tom Waits, but yeah. 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 In fact, I think of that as a Rod Stewart song. Yeah. So I didn't oh, well, that. see there, that's my problem right there. It's right. Yeah, there you go. So, no, plus I'm just like, you're like 80 and you still have the big hair thing. Like, just, <laughs> it's still pointing and, up um, in every direction. It's, yeah. He's yeah, got the I same hair he had in 1980. I mean, good for him. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I just, like, don't, I just, is there something off putting and artificial about everything he sings? Like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. Three marriages and other. Oh, <laughs> Wikipedia has. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What model was he married to? I'm sure he was married to a model. Let's see, Wikipedia has him married or has like significant relationships with eight different women. He has kids with one, two, three, four, five of them. Uh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. He has kids. His first kid was born in 1963 and his last kid was born in 2005. Oh my goodness. I'm, is... I'm guessing he's not maybe the most attentive i uh, well i don't know how he's got to earn a lot of money guess, to take yeah. care of all those kids alanis and and usually that you know when you're taking care of the kids you also got to take care of the mom so yeah. so every one of these oh rachel hunter yeah i knew he had married somebody i knew she was like in like more when i was growing up so every one of these yeah every woman he's married has been a model and like literally it's, <laughs> so she was probably 25 when he right, married. yeah like, so it's yep they have yep american actress and former model and then you have american former model that's kind of the joke going around is that leo dicaprio that the the girl he's going to break up with when he's 75 is just been born and something yeah. like that but dude that's like okay three marriages but kids with five different that's nuts man i mean i guess he's got enough money but in, okay, that's funny. In reference to his divorces, Stuart once quote was once quoted as saying, "Instead of getting married again, I'm going to find a woman I don't like and just give her a house." <laughs> that's, funny. that's funny. Oh wow! In January 2020, Stuart and his 39 year old son were arrested and charged with alleged assault following an incident at some hotel. Or, or so yeah, think someone started a fight with him. Like 
or just yeah or something he's fabulously wealthy and with that many long relationships and marriages he just lives as he wants i'm guessing so all right <laughs> yeah yeah no i totally believe what he says that it, it was just stuff like he didn't initially plan it but then he needed something to do i just think that when he once he got around to it he was like all right well let's make this good so that's my opinion but it's kind of like you know he didn't have to write the other two fifth head novellas but when he did he was like let's let's make these worthwhile and shake things up a bit so, anyway it's good i saw we have we're all right you ready closing in on 500 listens already yeah or yeah least, yeah or it's 4 30 i guess or, something like that but you know considering how little we've new stuff we've put out in the last six weeks yeah. um, and i was com- Please, nobody totally complained. Yeah, they the, should have. They should have. <laughs> someone did before. Someone, I remember somebody once on Reddit, didn't they say something like, they normally put stuff out every couple of weeks. When they we first started, been. they got really nervous about us just yeah. quitting or something like that. Now they know, ah, eventually it'll come out. At least, yeah, if people, or at least the regular people know that, too, yeah. that if they were listening, they're like, they, they had a con thing yeah all that so all right so that's it there yeah, i mean look at us we're getting up we're getting so, our getting some episodes in the can we're it's yep. gonna be good we're two episodes ahead for the first time look at that been a long ever. time yeah we've always that's been awesome. just kind of pushing through get mm-hmm. one more we'll have three episodes get, Down, I, i'd like to get like three or four episodes in the can and, oh yeah it was nice when we were when we got started and we were always about four or five ahead yeah 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 all right. Cool. All right. You're ready to dive in. Um, you start. Okay. You yep. you can after two right. or three watches spent in walking. Maybe yeah, you're supposed to do this. What am I doing? No, okay. I'm That's staying fine. your life. What time I wrote a uh, Christmas play? You've never told me that of all my Christmas stuff, and you've never told me that you wrote a Christmas play. Now you have to find it. And <laughs> well, yeah. <okay. laughs> so well, let me tell you. So. There's a scene, um, Joseph, you know, and Mary are going to the to the, um, the owner of the inn. They need a place, but there's no room. And so he's, so he's, you know, he's just, well, you know, we have a stable here. And he says, so Joseph is like, Joseph is like, uh, I don't know. And he says, well, you know, it's, it's still warm. It's still dry and it's, it's free. And so what I wrote was, well, okay. You know, that's the way it is in my head. But when the actor delivered it during rehearsals, he says, he says, it's, well, it's warm, it's dry, it's, it's free. And the actor says, okay. <laughs> which, <laughs> which kind of was an entirely different spin yeah. on the character yeah. of Joseph. So. <laughs> that's funny. That funny. You still have that? I really do. I want to, I really do want to read it now. <laughs> okay. Well, it. I'll hunt it down. Cool. I, 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 I wrote. Two. I th- that's really not my favorite. The, it's probably it was the the the, uh, um, the worship leader was you know in charge uh-huh. of it, and I, I was writing it to his specifications, yeah. and he it was really uh, technically elaborate, but it's not really my favorite. Cool. I wrote another one that's that I like better. You and Orson Scott Card <laughs> writing elaborate Christmas pageants for church. That's very cool. <laughs> I think I just said that. What's that? I think I just said what you're reading now. Sorry. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Let's drop that. Well done. Well done. <laughs> it's for it, This is for everybody. It's not just for me. Yeah. <laughs> it says, no doubt it was foolish, but as soon as I mentioned the name, I felt the silence of the forest like a... Uh, was it? I felt the silence of the forest. Did it drop like a weight? Is that, um, a forest like a weight. I felt the just, silence of the forest oh, like, like a weight. Okay, nature. 
Good. Boom, 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 boom. 